Hello and welcome to WMQ Presents Animated Discussions. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week, we're talking about the 2016 DC animated feature, Justice League vs. Teen Titans. And to help us in this important task is a guest. Uh, joining us all the way from his podcast, Titan Up the Defense, it's Hub. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, and to, to be clear, I don't live in my podcast, so I'm not joining you from there specifically. But uh, it does kind of feel that way lately. So th- thanks for having me either way. <laughs> sure thing. Yeah. Uh, before we get too deep into the weeds uh, with this movie, uh, obviously you have a long history with the Titans, but uh, how deep down the rabbit hole have you gone with you know, DC's animated stuff? Not very um especially not this iteration of dc's animated stuff i loved the justice league unlimited cartoon um and i liked batman the animated series and that stuff um other than that i watched the first justice league movie of this like new 52 reboot thing um and haven't really dipped back in much other than that yeah. Uh, there are worse decisions to have been made. <laughs> I kind of got that impression. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, when we originally talked about having having you on, we were talking about doing the uh the Judas Contract movie, which I guess comes after this based on the uh post-credit scene, but then DC pulled it and this is this is the Titans content that uh was available at the time. Uh yeah. DC Universe does weird things with the way they cycle these movies on and off, and we're using the uh, DC Universe uh, streaming service for these viewings. So, yeah, I I don't quite know why they keep sort of dropping stuff and pulling stuff when you'd think they'd want to keep as much of that content up there as possible, but who am I to tell? It it might be a bandwidth thing. I don't know. our streaming service to be sure but it is weird that in 2020 uh disney doesn't have a disney vault anymore but dc appears to (laughs) (laughs) i honestly it seems possible that they're just able to make more money by renting it out to other streaming service sites it kind of seems like the dcu app may not be long for this earth yeah i read something about that earlier today with the hbo max and the dc series starting to launch there it's a shame because it's it struck me as a smart move initially to combine Marvel Unlimited with the Marvel streaming content into one service for DC but because the the comic portion of it is nice they they have a re- pretty deep library at this point but the the films are odd Yeah, I was sucked in initially by the idea, the premise of it was just like, oh, all of the DC TV series and movies will be available there. And that is an enticing promise, but then it's just, you know, some of them and some seasons of some of them. So, yeah. So uh, what what happens in this one, Matt? What happens in uh, Justice League versus Teen Titans? Uh, You want the long version or the short? Let's try short. Batman's little shit of a son walks all over Raven's character arc. Oof, magoof, this does not bode well for the long version. (laughs) So, quick backstory. This movie is set in the continuity that various DC animated movies have, 
uh, for the past seven years, starting with the Flashpoint Paradox and coming to an end in the recently released on digital, soon to be released on Blu-ray, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. The Justice League in this continuity is Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Cyborg, and Sirs not appearing in this film, Green Lantern and Shazam. Uh, These films were mainly inspired by the New 52, and it shows in the designs and the brutality of the heroes. Sure does. Uh, The movie opens with the Justice League fighting the Legion of Doom and defeating them handily. As Weather Wizard tries to escape, he's possessed by a demon, says something ominous about her, and then conjures up a magical tornado, only for Robin, in this case Damian Wayne, to shoot him with missiles and snap him out of it. An angry Batman tells him he disobeyed his orders, so he has Nightwing ship him off to the Teen Titans to learn teamwork. Or something. (laughs) The Titans in this case are Den Mother, Starfire, Beast Boy, Raven, and Blue Beetle. They greet Damien, who remains the brattiest. Meanwhile, Superman is doing laundry and talking to Wonder Woman about the upcoming date when the room is filled with shadows and blood, which usually gets off on the third floor, and is possessed. Back at the Titans Tower, Damien is hogging the training room, and when Blue Beetle tries to step in, Damien picks a fight. Uh, Damien holds his own, only for Jaime's scarab armor to take control and blast Damien in the face. Uh, Raven uses her empathic healing powers to save Damien, but gets visions of Damien's upbringing in the League of Assassins. Superman runs away from Wonder Woman on their date and is now possessed by a demon. Batman tries to stop him with kryptonite, and he escapes, going into the desert and digging up what looks like a stargate, but is probably a demon portal. Damien seems to be coming around. Maybe a laser blast to the face made him less bratty. Uh, And he first makes uh, the world's worst apology to Blue Beetle and then talks to Raven. Uh, After a video chat with Dick in which her robe falls open, Starfire decides to bring the team to a carnival for some bonding and bad emo music. Uh, It seems to work. Damien and Raven exchange furtive glances, and Damien gets into a Dance Dance Revolution off against Beast Boy, only for Raven's creepy band of Leather Daddy Demon Brothers to show up and try to kidnap her. They best the demons, and then Raven reveals her origin just in time for the League to show up. From here, we basically get a battle over various settings, with the Titans fighting a possessed Justice League, Raven surrendering herself so the League doesn't kill the Titans, Cyborg freed from Trigon's control and working with the Titans, Raven being used to free her dad, and a battle in Trigon's realm with the Titans, as the now unpossessed League fights a freed Trigon in the real world. In the end, Raven goes to re-imprison her dad in the gem that he was kept in before he escaped, uh, just for the demonic spirit of Rachel Ghoul, uh, out of nowhere, uh, killed in the Son of Batman film, which I haven't seen, uh, to return. He says his immortality was part of a deal with Trigon, and to return to life, he has to stop Raven. He gives the Darth Vader speech to Damien, who decides not to make a deal with Grandpa, and holds him off so Raven can reseal Trigon in the gem, which she then puts on her uh, forehead. The movie ends with Cyborg deciding not to join the Titans and stay with the League, but still joins the Titans for uh, Pizza Hut, Pizza Night because he is a Ninja Turtle after all. Uh, and also, there is a stinger with Terra. The end. Uh, so, so what did, what did you guys think of this movie, uh, Hub? Why don't you uh, start us off? Okay, uh, I thought overall it was fine. Um, I got a little bit lost in some of the details when you pointed out that. Superman broke his date with Wonder Woman. I honestly thought that was supposed to be Lois Lane, and I was like, Superman's cheating on his girlfriend with when it came up that he and Wonder Woman were dating at the end. And I, 
yeah, I watched it twice in the last two days, and I still didn't get that that was supposed to be Wonder Woman, who he was on the phone with. I guess her disguise of glasses worked on me. Um, <laughs> there were also just some things that I was a little bit iffy about. I am not that familiar with the New 52 continuity, either in the comic books or in these movies. Mm-hmm. So there were some things about it that kind of took me aback. Um, but my main impression of it, there were two big takeaways I had. One of them was, like you said, your short version of the story was absolutely my first impression. This little shit is crapping all over Raven's story arc. Um, She is his morose pixie dream girl uh, and doesn't have any real character of her own in this. And it's supposed to be her story. And my other big takeaway, I was glad you told me beforehand that it's okay if I swear, because yes. who the fuck gets sushi at a carnival game? <laughs> Thank you! Oh my <laughs> god, that is one of my notes! <laughs> <laughs> they showed it twice, and both times I was just like, wait, wait, what? They're at a fucking carnival that looks like it's mostly in a parking lot, and somebody's buying sushi? <laughs> It's, it's that's actually the next step down from gas station sushi and that shit is poison oh my <laughs> yeah so those were my main thoughts on it how about you guys um I, I am of a similar mind in that this movie while there were some a few cool moments had some serious story issues which I was perplexed by because we got to the end and I was like, all right, who who did the screenplay for this? And I'm like, wait, story by Brian Q. Miller and screenplay by Alan Burnett and Brian Q. Miller. For those of you out there who don't know these guys, Burnett was a writer and producer on Batman the Animated Series. And Brian Q. Miller wrote the very good and well-regarded Stephanie Brown Batgirl series as well as a bunch of Arrowverse stuff and was a showrunner, I believe, on Smallville, or at least a major writer on the show. So these are solid writers and not exactly... I mean, Miller clearly doesn't have some of the issues that a lot of comic book writers have with writing female characters, but this had some real problems with its portrayal of women. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Den, you described Starfire as Den Mother Starfire, and I had her written down the same way, and I don't understand what her character was supposed to be. Um, It's very clear that Raven is there for support of the hero, who is Damien, and it's made clear in little ways, like the fact that, okay, so he grew up in an assassin cult, so he's a real fish out of water, and she also grew up in a cult on another planet, but is somehow worldly rather than otherworldly, so that she can teach him and learn from him about this new place he finds himself in. And he also just straight up took over her story. Yeah, no, what 100%. And the thing is, like, the, the racial ghoul stuff... I mean, we hint at his origin, and I guess if you saw Son of Batman, uh, you know... It, you know, part of me, I, not having known the what, you know, there was a watch order to this, you know, it just seems to come out of nowhere just as, you know, Raven's about to, 
you know, seal the deal on her own arc. And I'm, I'm just like, what, what is this? This is a payoff for which I saw no plant. Yeah, I I had my note was and race all Ghoul pops up and says, I'm here, too, for some reason. <laughs> what? I guess he's best friends with Trigon now. Oh, OK. Which is, by the way, out of nowhere in any continuity with a connection between Raish and Trigon. And it, yeah, I mean, Son of Batman is actually one of the, the better ones of these movies. Uh, notably with uh, Giancarlo Esposito as Raish, who does not return for this film, which is, you know, a shame because Giancarlo Esposito makes everything better. Um, but yeah, it's sort of out of nowhere and a really odd turn yeah Definitely. and there's also the fact that starfire basically just shows up to get knocked out twice um show some cleavage on a facebook call and or facetime call and then have a sailor moon montage where a mini <laughs> mini skirt grows out of her uh crotch jewel um <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, I guess, like, all of the Teen Titans get their Sailor Moon transformation. Is that something that's in the other movies? Like, that really did seem to come out of nowhere for me. I do not, I've seen all of these, and I do not recall that anywhere else. And I was, you know, when Corey, we first see, you know, off-duty Corey. It's like, okay, she's in an off-the-shoulder sweatshirt and, you know, workout pants. Like, all right, that's... For Starfire, that's actually wearing quite a bit more clothing than usual. Like, all right. But, but Matt, Matt, and then she takes a shower, and well, then right. she gets back in the same outfit. <laughs> and has the whole robe thing in the middle, too. It's like, oh, okay, so, no, no, not staying covered up. I actually found her outfit a little bit less disturbing than Nightwing's, just that he's wearing the too tight black t-shirt with the thin gold chain over it um it, it was very like night at the roxbury look for nightwing and i was like oh i don't like that <laughs> in all fairness we live in new jersey so gold chains are something we're a little more used to still uh, he's, he he's, canonically he's does like discotheques a... so yeah <laughs> that is true but uh, uh yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Hub. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, yeah, it, it primarily it didn't make sense to me that she would be hanging out with the Teen Titans. And overall, I don't want to shit all over this movie. Like I said, for the most part, I thought it was fine. It was better than expected, honestly. Um, there were some funny moments. Uh, I liked their portrayal of Beast Boy a lot better. Uh, but the premise of it within the context of the New 52 within this given parameters of the universe, it doesn't make sense to me that there would be a Teen Titans. Part of the problem I have with the new 52 averse that I have sampled is it really seems to want its cake and eat it too. It wants to establish that these are brand new characters that we're seeing for the first time, but it also wants to lean on the continuity and character recognition. Um, and so the idea that, you know, Batman just showed up, then why is there a Nightwing? Um, if there's if these heroes are all new to the scene and a big revelation for the world, then why do they have teen equivalents that are presumably getting ready to take 
over the mantle from them or are young but are in training. Also, the Justice League that we see here seems maybe it's the character design, maybe it's the animation. They seem really young themselves. And because they look so much younger, in order to make the teens look younger than they are, they just kind of made them tiny. So, like, they're like a third the size of the other people, which generally isn't the way teenagers work. I, I kind of got the impression that Robin was about eight or nine. I, I had his ceiling at 11, but then, and and we'll get into this later on down the line, they start to introduce the, the, the Raven angle, and I'm like, okay, that's weird. You know, th- there's almost like a Padme Anakin uh, vibe to it. Oh, totally. Damien, when he first appeared in the comics, was 10. And that's about where he would be here. Because it's interesting, the beginning with the fight with the Legion of Doom, they flat out say in the, the news coverage that's going over the fight that this is a fight between the Justice League and a new team of villains, the Legion of Doom, at the debut of the Justice League's new headquarters. So the Which Justice some League... people are calling the Hall of Justice. So yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Justice League hasn't been doing this Justice League thing for that long, and suddenly there are teams titans you're absolutely right how about the weird time dilation that both the new 52 comics and thus these movies have sort of created also that implies if if these if this is their like farm system or trainees or whatever and the hall of justice is new how old is the titans tower is that a pre-existing building that there was just a t-shaped building lying around or you know did that go up faster that is a really good point. I hadn't even thought. I think they must have just found an old T-shaped building. Maybe at the height of his fame, Mr. T had that built for himself as his San Francisco base of operations when he had that cartoon where he was hanging out with a bunch of gymnasts and then Batman bought it. Um, honestly, the T-shaped Titan Tower, It's yeah, that's familiar. It was great to see that. I was weirded out by the fact that there is an enormous bridge connecting it to the mainland of San Francisco. It like, it, it's a freeway that just goes to one building that we don't know why there's a building there. That is a very valid point. That's yeah, that, one of that's, the things that, that that's I a missed. big infrastructure investment. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, no, uh, on, on the whole, you know, a lot of this movie, it, it has a PG-13 rating, and it feels like it was made for the worst kind of 13-year-old boy. Um, you know, it's it's really saying something when Beast Boy is Beast Boy, but surrounded by his, you know, with the people that he's surrounded by, he's almost Aqualad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he definitely came off the best in the group of, I mean, I mean... Raven did, but she also didn't really have a personality. And kind of the same thing with Starfire. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like it was a total waste of Rosario Dawson as Wonder Woman. Um, Like, I really like Rosario Dawson. I thought she did fine as Wonder Woman. It didn't seem necessary that Wonder Woman was even in this movie. Except to get rescued by the hero, which she did at the end. Which, there's a seed planted when they're out at the movies since I guess that was her and not Lois Lane <laughs> that uh, 
that that's what the women are for in these action movies. So, I mean, they kind of hung a lampshade on it, which doesn't make it better. No. She has voiced Wonder Woman in all of these new 52 continuity movies. So Justice League War, this one, the death of Superman two-parter, Justice League Dark, and she had her own one recently, Wonder Woman Bloodlines, which was actually pretty good. And she has quite a bit more to do there. So is it possible that she goes into the studio and bangs like a couple of these out a day? Like that, you know, like that bit in The Simpsons where Krusty just walks in and go, <laughs> you know, does his three lines and walks out. I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, for for her sake. Um, I I definitely I don't know. I was not impressed, but not dismayed at Jerry O'Connell's performance as Superman. Um, I was dismayed when I saw that Jerry O'Connell was going to be doing the voice of Superman. I think like most people, I think of him as the lead in the movie Tomcats, the Jake Busey vehicle. And so I don't really see him as having the gravitas to pull off Superman, but I thought he did a, a fine job for this version of Superman. Okay, we need to just take a momentary uh, sidestep because you just mentioned Jake Busey. And Dan, do you remember the time at Wizard World when we were waiting online for I don't remember who and nobody was online for Jake Busey? So he was just walking around, chatting with people, trying to get people to come over to his booth. Yeah, yeah, he would just saunter over to like the Suicide Girls booth and just chat them up because nobody was hanging uh, out over by him. Yes, I do remember that. That sounds about right. I always kind of like Jake Busey. Oh, yeah. Uh, Not saying he's a bad guy. He seemed very pleasant. Yeah. He does seem like he might, it might be like a Boba Fett situation where he's actually a clone of his dad who was raised by his dad. <laughs> yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, so. Teen Titans, more than a lot of DC's properties, have been animated, you know, in in a, a range of styles. This one was sort of anime-ish, which I guess is, you know, the Sailor Moon transformations make sense now. Uh, I just thought it was the pad time, uh, you know. And then there was the original Cartoon Network Teen Titans cartoon, and there was Teen Titans Go, uh, and then, you know, Young Justice kind of sort of and then you know hub you guys just uh watched the old uh, filmation cartoons uh, yeah there were for your three show. of those uh they were 10 minutes long and for our special 420 episode we celebrated the holiday in the traditional manner and uh watched those three specials they, they were not that bad they actually had a little bit of a bob haney flair to them that i appreciated um definitely weird and nonsensical and for a 10 minute cartoon overly complicated but uh <laughs> not that bad um you know is there is there an animated version of the titans that that either of you guys prefer out of that set based on you know your experience with them uh young justice i think is great um yes I I don't know if it's technically Teen Titans, but uh, I love that. Um, 
in terms of animation style, I wasn't that wasn't what I liked about it, but I did like the uh, the first Teen Titans show. Um, I can't remember. Was that Teen, Teen Titans Go is the one where they're much younger, right? The yeah. first one was just Teen Titans. I think both of those are pretty good for what they are. Yeah, I am pretty much go along with everything Hub just said there. I mean, Young Justice is one of my favorite superhero cartoons. A, Greg Wiseman can do very little wrong for me between that and Spectacular Spider-Man and Gargoyles. I mean, this is a guy who is three for three on the series he's created that I completely love. I didn't realize he was doing Gargoyles, too. I actually just started rewatching that recently and holds up pretty well. I also, as a kid, didn't realize that was Riker and Troya that were in that. So that was kind of cool. The entire cast of Star Trek The Next Generation, except for Patrick Stewart, appear at one point or another on Gargoyles. Ah, that's rad. Yeah, yeah. Most of them have, like, one-off roles. Uh, Worf appears a few times as another gargoyle. And uh, Brent Spiner Data is Puck, which is delightful. Does he sing the song about life forms? Because that seems like something Puck might do. (laughs) He doesn't sing that, but he does... All of his spells are in rhyme. So he has all these little, like, momentary rhyming couplets. Oh, what's the... uh, Gargoyles like a... Gargoyles like a battle hardy. So does Puck. Come on, let's party. That's cute. Yes. (laughs) Uh, so let's let's go in a little bit kind of some of the individual characters. We touched on some of this, but uh, how, how do we feel about Damian Wayne? Uh, you know, Hub, you obviously on Tighten Up the Defense because of the era of Teen Titans that you're dealing with. You know, you're you're predominantly, you know, steeped in, in Dick Grayson. You know, how, where do you stand on the other Robins? Um, Oddly enough, in the I recorded a new episode of Tighten Up the Defense a couple hours ago, and it was the first issue that we had that really focused on Jason Todd as Robin, and uh, I actually liked him a lot better than I was expecting to. I think that my exposure to the character previously had been after the fact, and so kind of through the lens of the popular backlash against him, and then his reimagining after his resurrection, when he was a edgy 90s hero in the aughts or whenever it was that that shit happened. Um, and so I was surprised how much I liked the Jason Todd one, um, and maybe that's inconsistent. This is based on one issue, essentially. Um <laughs> But he seems like a nice kid. I like that he tried to steal the hubcaps off the Batmobile. Um, I like Tim Drake pretty good. I read that Robin series when it came out when I was a kid. And I thought that was that was pretty good. And I don't like the Damian Wayne character very much. Um, I haven't read or viewed a ton of him. But he seems like a real asshole. And... Um, I don't think I don't like that he gets to be Robin. <laughs> That's fair. Um, 
and uh, Matt, you are an avowed Tim Drake stan. Uh, you, you've written extensively about it. Uh, at the same time, is this version of Damien in this movie, is this representative of the character that you are familiar with from you know reading the comics? This is definitely representative of Damien at this point in his career. When Damien first pops up, Damien is the absolute worst. And I, at the time, was kind of wondering if that was because he was replacing Tim, and I just didn't want anything to do with the character. But no, when Damien first appeared, he was an obnoxious, entitled little shit. It wasn't until Bruce, you know, quote-unquote, died after Final Crisis, and Damien worked with Dick Grayson, that he became a little more bearable, and even more so... In recent years with the Super Sons book with him and John Kent, where Damien actually makes a friend and becomes a little more human. But early in his career, yeah, Damien was absolutely a character who you just wanted to hit because he was just that obnoxious. He uh, he has that one line that he says in the movie where it's like, that's the difference between you and me. You wear a weapon. I am a weapon. And there were a few lines like that. Beast Boy at one point says, we're not in Kansas anymore, where I found myself yelling at my laptop, your first take is not your best take. (laughs) Right. I would have maybe refined that first line to be, that's the difference between us. You use a tool. I am a tool. (laughs) See? Much better. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I did think it was funny when uh, Beast Boy turned into a donkey and farted on (laughs) Cyborg. I thought that was a nice moment. I was a little bit confused, and maybe you guys have an answer to this. I kind of came up with a no-prize version, but why did Beast Boy get possessed and then turn into demons? And and it didn't seem to really affect him. Yeah, that was really out of nowhere, other than it felt like either the animators or the writers were like, you know what would be cool? Demon Werewolf Beast Boy. We can do that, right? Sure, why the hell not? The thing is, they could have made it make sense if you had, like, I know it's the middle of a fight, but one or two lines of dialogue, maybe even just one, where it's, okay, he's in this new world, established previously that he can turn into any creature on the planet that he's on. Um, You know, he's got nonsense powers anyway, so that would make sense. So then he goes there and he tries to turn into something and then he gets overwhelmed and doesn't get what's happening and he melts into a bunch of bugs and stuff and then adjusts and can turn into the werewolf demon stuff. That actually works and makes sense, but there was nothing establishing that or explaining it. A, a a couple seconds of struggle like that's the thing with this and and it, the DC features are shorter movies I think this is like an hour and 20 it has an ensemble cast and it doesn't spend enough time with any of these people to you know give you a sense of of you know ownership in their stakes and and I think you know just like one or two quick lines of like, uh, you know, I'm struggling with what's happening here. And then all of a sudden he's like, Oh, I'm a werewolf. It's cool. Uh, this is actually quite enjoyable. You know, probably yeah. would have made the whole thing fine. <laughs> um, 
I did want to get a little bit more into Starfire. It, you know, this is... There was it, more? It... I, I didn't see any more. <laughs> now, I mean, you know, we've talked about it already. You know, this movie chose to lean into the sexualization of Starfire. And, and you know, it's not like the history for that isn't there, uh, especially in the New 52. Uh, but, you know, especially throughout our history... You know, it's it's always been an aspect of her personality, but just one aspect of her personality. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess over on the whole, I mean, it's just another example of, you know, the fact that the movie didn't spend enough time working on anybody, really. But they didn't even lean into her sexuality. They leaned into her being sexualized. And there's a difference. She wasn't taking any agency over that. She didn't notice that Dick was sexualizing her when he was looking at her on the screen. Um, Her character in general is that she is passionate. And yeah, she does like to have sex. And that's fine. This wasn't that character. Mm -hmm. She was... Like, she was very maternal, which is not generally part of her character. And yes, kind and compassionate, but the fact that that's born out of the fact that she is very emotional, it didn't show any other sides of that. Mm-hmm. Um, even little things, like, how the fuck does she read Robert Frost? Like, it's more surprising to me that she knows that than it is that Damien knows that. I can see Bruce making him read that shit. But, like, <laughs> you're a passionate alien from another planet, and the poetry you're going to get into is, like, eight, 1700s New England poetry? Like, or he was later than that. He was, was he, he was 20th century, wasn't he? Yes. Okay, but still, yeah. like... I, I don't know about Frost. Like I'm no Starfire. Some fucking poetry slam shit or whatever. Omar you know? Khayyam. Give us some, you know... Yeah. She would dig on the fucking Rubaiyat. That shit's rad. Exactly. Some some writer was like, See? She's deep. <laughs> it's like we've got our own beast from the 90s X-Men cartoon, but with boobs. But that's the thing. It's the same thing like with... Robin, there's no thought into what her character is or how she would react to things. It's, oh, we need her to have this line so she knows this stuff in reaction to the hero, the little fucking Damien guy. It's it's his story, even though this... Yeah, I, I keep going back to it. It should be Raven's story, and it's it's not. She's the morose pixie dream girl to guide him through his journey. The, the whole cast is folly to this un, uh, unlikable Bart Simpson character. Damien yes. is Poochie. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Damien's not on screen, so should be asking, where's Damien? <laughs> uh, and, and, and then we get, uh, again, PG-13 movie. So, you know, theoretically suited for younger audiences, but we have a ho- endless horde of demons all wearing assless chaps and, co- and leather cod pieces. Yeah, well, you know, that's hell for you. Which is, I guess, where Trigon's from now. Yeah, Trigon, the original Perez design is visually interesting. The white against the red, the the skulls and the other applique, the the leather costume. The cod piece that has a picture of himself on it. Yes. Uh, Yeah, like the crotch covering that has a, a bust of his head on it. And also six eyeballs, not four eyeballs. 
I kept waiting for there to be some payoff to that. Like somebody, like, okay, so when uh, Raven explains they're like batteries, you need to run them down. I thought maybe they were going to play the dozens and then it could come into it that they would call them four eyes or something, you know, like really (laughs) run them down. Like just battle of insults with the demons. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, it would have been more than anybody thought about. Or a fiddle competition. How come (laughs) nobody has fiddle competitions with Trigon? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you What's the, wouldn't a golden fiddle weigh a ton and sound crappy? No, not if you're Trigon. <laughs> He's mastered the golden fiddle. I, I kind of want to picture Rachel Ghoul having a fiddle off with Trigon now. <laughs> oh yeah. Although no, Rachel Ghoul coming from the, the Middle East a thousand years ago it would have to be some sort of. Oh, I'd be know, the Ood. Yes. Yes. Uh, wouldn't a golden ood play a ton, weigh a ton and sound crappy? <laughs> Not when Ray Al Ghul plays it. <laughs> He's had a thousand years to figure out how to make it sound. Exactly. Um. So we talked a little bit earlier about you know wanting this to be a younger Justice League and a younger continuity, but also hearkening to you know older concepts that theoretically in this world shouldn't exist. Um, let's talk about Cyborg for a second. Because I think this is the perfect trying to have your cake and eat it two character. Wait, I'm sorry, which Cyborg? The, uh, the blue one or the other one? Oh, uh, <laughs> Victor Stone. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, he's, you know, so when the New 52 came around, you know, obviously he was a classic Titan for years, but then they promoted him to the Justice League, which, you know, good. The League needed a person of color. But this movie makes sort of makes this lukewarm overture at the end toward luring Cyborg to the Titans or, or back to the Titans. Uh, I'm not entirely clear. You know, maybe as a throwback for fans, but at the same time, I don't feel like a lot of classic Titan fans are, are watching this. Oh, yeah, no, that was a moment of fan service because Cyborg in the new 52 has no history with the Titans and which is a strange and awkward thing when they've tried to have him, you know, team up with the Titans and they kind of hinted he has these vague memories from before time was reset. And yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Man. It also did seem like maybe they fired him at the end did it seem to you like batman was firing him and being like okay now you're on this team when he turned off the view screen um there is also honestly something a little bit uncomfortable about yes it is good that they have him be part of the justice league but it is kind of clear that he's the junior member of the team who's still kind of trying to prove himself and has the same thing going that the Blue Beetle does, which is what I was referring to earlier. Like, they're kind of the same character and play a similar role where they are both characters who have potential enormous power that they still don't really understand are able to fully control or harness. And to have your two minority characters fill that exact same role and essentially have the same powers seemed a little bit odd. 
no argument at all. And it's a shame that Blue Beetle is, I mean, granted, as we've kind of said, there's been some problems throughout this movie with no character being particularly well fleshed out. But Blue Beetle, other than it seems like comments about what a brat Damien is and how he can't control his powers, doesn't do much of anything else. Yeah, I had trouble figuring out what archetypical position he was supposed to fill in lieu of having a character developed for him. Yeah, it. I had a lot of difficulty figuring out. I guess maybe him and Beast Boy were the supposed to be like the Blue Beetle and Booster Gold combo a little bit. Like, they're the fun-loving friends, but he didn't really fit that. He didn't really no. wisecrack in the way that Beast Boy did. And yeah, I couldn't figure out what his role was supposed to be, or honestly, at that point, why bother including him other than to just fill out the numbers a little bit? That did seem like what they were using that character for, and there have been attempts that DC has made since they introduced the Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle to make him a bigger deal to try to have him as the, the voice of a youthful DC universe. I mean, he got a new series out of the New 52. He appeared on Smallville. He was a major player in Batman the Brave and the Bold. There was even, when there was talk of a Booster Gold series on uh, Sci-Fi Channel, which never came of anything, which is a real shame, uh, there was talk of there definitely being a Blue Beetle on the show, and whether or not it would be Ted or Jaime, I don't recall. But it just seems like, hey, we've got this kid, and yeah, let's let's put him in there instead of any of the other traditional Titans, because Jaime was a Titan briefly prior to the new 52 but very briefly he doesn't have much if any connection to the titans brand well uh did this come out i'm a little bit iffy on my timeline did this come out after the second season of young justice because i know he played a large role in that and that may just be kind of a fan service thing to that it definitely did yes because that was airing that would have been 2009 or 10 somewhere in that range and this is 2016 so yes definitely after that, that is a good call that he, yeah yeah i can totally see that it's it's definitely a shame though because i mean this guy was basically just here to be like stiff as a board and i mean i mean to be fair he did almost murder Damien, which was maybe my favorite moment of the show. So, you know, he he did melt uh, a kid's face. So that's nice. A feather in his cap, certainly. <laughs> it, it, it's just funny because I always like I coming from from seeing him on the Brave and the Bold. Uh, he's almost like a like DC's Kamala Khan type. You know, you're just very like a teen hero in love with with superheroes and the idea of being one, and and that was not the version that was uh, pr presented here, uh, certainly. 
Yeah, no, I can see that. I had that actually works better than I had been thinking of him as DC's like Kitty Pride, where he's the the teenager who gets a seat at the adult table, but is kind of forced into the kitty table from there. Mm-hmm. In it's interesting because in the comics, at least the early comics, he was the reluctant hero archetype who had the the scarab sort of thrust upon him and had to deal with it while not really wanting to be a hero. There's a great issue early on in his series where he and his friends are fighting some sort of mystical threat that makes your greatest desire come to life and it blasts him and he's suddenly a dentist. <laughs> and it's, it's like, what? It's like, I just want to live a normal life. That's all I want. And it's a great character beat. And any of those versions of Blue Beetle are more engaging than this Blue Beetle. Because the Young Justice version is akin to the comics one, where he's kind of like, I don't know what's going on. I have this power thrust on me, and I just want to live a normal life. Hmm. Interesting. Um. The only other character that I kind of wanted to point out, and this is this is a very minor character from the from the opening Legion of Doom battle, but uh, Toy Master, I, did did they change Toy Man's name again? Like in how on Brave and the Bold we got Funhouse. I'm gonna I, say yeah, they must have, and yeah, it, it fits kind of into the extreme justice version <laughs> of this universe that there is. Yes, and I have no idea why. There is something... With Brave and the Bold, it made sense only because they couldn't use Superman, Wonder Woman, or their rogues for licensing reasons. So they just changed his name because they wanted to keep that archetype. But there's they've got Superman in here, so there's no reason why he can't just be Toy Man. It oh, well, feel- they could get Superman, but they don't have Toy Man money. They can't <laughs> buy that licensing rights. See, Toy Man's rights are, it's the same reason that Robin couldn't show up in the uh, in the anti-drug PSAs, for, and they had to switch him <laughs> for the Guardian. See, Toy Man is tied up in Keebler's things. He's You've seen him on the cover of all the Oreo cookie special sets and whatnot. So uh, it, it's a licensing thing. Touche, sir. Yeah. (laughs) It's so weird that it's that specific Superman villain that this keeps coming up. Like, even on the friggin' Supergirl TV show, they just kept... They made up some new character and said it was his son, and they just alluded to him, unless they ended up using the actual Toy Man on the show at some point. I stopped watching three seasons ago. I think he's shown up once or twice uh, before his son was traded to the Legion of Superheroes for Brainiac 5 and a sidekick to be named later. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, Superman does not have that deep a villain bench, but Toy Man's like, I don't know, tw- the 28th best Superman villain if we're ranking. Well, I mean, well, to be fair, if I'm putting together the the first version of the Legion of Doom and you have the rights to all of DC's villains, then having it be Weather Wizard, Toy Man, Solomon Grundy. Um, you mean the that, Grey Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, less so here slightly than in the uh, 
the Justice League Unlimited, where they did the Defenders, but with Solomon Grundy and Doctor Fate and Aquaman, uh, and wait, who and Hawk Girl as Nighthawk? Um, I love those episodes. Those but... are great. Ah, oh, I mean, it's. The trick there is Toy Man was in the uh, Challenge of the Super Friends. The, he was a member of the Legion of Doom. All of those characters, except for Weather Wizard, were in the Legion of Doom. And they swapped out Weather Wizard for uh, Captain Cold for Weather Wizard, I think because they needed the, the weather effect for the story. Oh. But the other four were traditional original members of the legion of doom from well, the- i thought the original Le- legion of doom was animal and hawk <laughs> no oh no i think you are correct yeah or wait with i'm sorry i'm mixing them up it was it was animal and weather wizard and weather <laughs> wizard would always do the what a rush thing okay Ah. <sighs> oh. Uh, so at, at this point uh, in the two of these that we've done, uh, we typically go into the, the voice work. Um, so Robin was voiced by a kid named Stuart Allen. Uh, I say kid, he's 21 now, according to the, uh, the, uh, the old IMDb. But apparently the same voice actor played Robin in all seven of his, uh, or this era of the DCAU films. And um, did anyone else feel like he just sounded like a pissed off peanut? Yeah, well, now, yeah. (laughs) Do you mean like a Peanuts character or an actual Peanut that was angry? (laughs) Like like Angry Linus. (laughs) Okay, yes. Which which is why, like, when... when, Yeah, because, Matt, Peanuts can't talk. Actual Peanuts. I I don't know if you knew that, but I I just don't want you to embarrass yourself. They're a legume. What about Mr. Peanut? Oh, he's dead. But, he but Baby Nut. <laughs> Babies can't talk either. Three things that can't talk. Babies, dead people, and peanuts. And that's it. Everything else can talk. <laughs> yup. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it makes... Like when they get to the the carnival and they're playing the the bad like leftover yellow card song from two thousand six. Oh my god! <laughs> you mean crazy boy? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! I, that was as close as I came both times I watched that movie to just like I can just turn this off now. <laughs> I can do this. Like I've. I've done a lot of book reports on books I haven't read. I don't need to watch the rest of this, do I? No, the, my notes for that just said, this song, WTF. There's just nothing, nothing more that could be said. That's well, when you but, go, but, uh, I was almost it feel like... the same song that they then did the, like, more K-pop-y version of for the Dance Dance Revolution? Or were those different songs? I, I, I think they were different songs. Different songs. Okay. Uh, uh, they are... Yes, come on. This is why I keep... Yes, the other song was called Down to Nothing by Siddhartha Menon, 
performed by Siddhartha Menon. So okay. that that was what was the, uh, the when they were. Oh no! Th- yes, yes, that was the other song. Oh boy! Wow. Okay. It was very like the yeah the the pop punk song was very very bad. <laughs> it really was. I, I, I like that was another like what was the thought process behind that? like did they go to Warner Music and be like uh, we need like a song here? What do you have lying around in the the garbage? <laughs> it was it was like when a prop department is called on to make a book cover and it's like yeah this looks like a pop punk song would look <laughs> it's it, it, it was it was very bad <laughs> uh, but I'm, yeah I'm, but <laughs> you were talking about the scene that that happened in and i forgot all about what you were saying because that song it was very bad no and and, and attention must be paid to it absolutely but uh, yeah, so Robin sounding like angry Linus, uh, you know, had me thinking he was like no older than eleven, and then all of a sudden he's having, you know, he's exchanging these like awkward furtive glances with Raven, whom I believe they establish in the movie is fourteen years old, and yeah, that it was just that weird. It was it was gross. That, yeah, there we go. It was gross. Okay. I don't think I yeah. need to go deeper than that. <laughs> no, you don't. Um. This is this is the second one of these movies that Matt and I have, have watched together and uh in both of them there's like one there's always one voice actor's performance that takes me right out of it. So uh we watched uh Justice League the New Frontier a few weeks ago and it was Jeremy Sisto as Batman. Uh it's just the wrongest sounding Batman I'd ever heard in my life. Uh here it's Steve Bloom doing Lex Luthor and it's this like it came out with like a higher pitch that than I expected, and I understand you can't get Clancy Brown every time, uh, you know, they, there's an animated Lex Luthor, uh, but it just, you know, it added to, like, it's trying to be extreme, but then also he's in that stupid green and purple power suit that just looks silly, and then he's he's kind of he's got this like higher voice coming out of his mouth, uh, and and maybe they should have just sprung paid the extra money for Clancy Brown. I don't. Th- I think if you have Clancy Brown opposite Jerry O'Connell, you would just be like, "Why doesn't Lex Luthor just destroy him right now, immediately?" <laughs> Fun fact: the Lex Luthor, when Luthor is a featured character in later movies, he's voiced by Rain Wilson. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he actually works pretty well in the Death of Superman uh, two-parter with O'Connell. And him and uh, Jerry O'Connell's real life wife Rebecca Romaine as Lois Lane. Huh. So there is a Lois Lane in this y- universe. Yes, and eventually uh, Clark and Diana aren't seeing each other anymore, and Lois and Clark get together, and the universe didn't seem quite as strange. I don't like Wonder Woman and Superman dating. No, I, I no, I just don't. <laughs> I, I think it's bad. And and it I feel like it's something that people try to do with like female superheroes a lot, which is well they need obviously to they wouldn't be with somebody who's weaker than them, so they need to be with the strongest person that somebody who's stronger than them, and there's only like two people, so he needs she needs to date 
one of them. Whereas every male hero has a non-powered girlfriend and everybody's just fine with that. Absolutely. Uh, I've always thought Superman and Lois, one of the reasons why they work is the same reason why Superman's best friend is Jimmy Olsen and why I prefer the Kents to be alive because having him have a non-powered significant other, a non-powered best friend and his human parents around, it grounds him. It shows his humanity while making the person he has the closest connection to be a princess from an island of magical warrior women removes some of that grounding and that was a huge problem with the new 52 superman that version of superman was a stranger in a strange land and they kept playing that up which is i think one of the reasons why they removed martian manhunter from so much of that continuity because Mm. that was always his shtick and when you have the two of them doing the same thing, it makes one of them redundant, and it's not going to be Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I, I think you need to have Superman. What makes him super is his humanity, even though he's a Kryptonian. And yeah, I, I, I also don't like divorcing him from that groundedness in the human world and kind of makes him unable to connect with people and therefore makes you less able to connect with him. Absolutely. Um, was there, a, was there a uh, particular moment that uh, in this, that uh, was your favorite either of you guys? Ah, gosh, I, I felt like there were some pretty good jokes. Like I said, I liked it when Beast Boy farted on Cyborg. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm into highbrow shit like that. Sure, sure. Um, uh, I liked seeing Damien's face get melted off. Um, uh, to piggyback on that, I actually liked that Raven used the empathic healing abilities, which is a power that was a big deal when Raven first appeared and in modern stories tends to be forgotten. She's now sort of generic deus ex machina magic lady with a bird soul. The The healing stuff gets forgotten and I thought it was a neat callback to the original Titan stories that they had her use that power. Yeah, I'm I'm less familiar with the modern interpretation, so I didn't realize they had taken the focus off of that. But I always thought she made more sense as like a, a druid type character, and like, yeah, you do need somebody like that on the team. Like, it it makes sense in a team context, and I feel like Wolfman didn't always know what to do with that. And there are a lot of stories where she was like, "I'll just wait in the car." Um, <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I, I think that's a, a cool, a cool type of power that she has that I think should be played with more often. So I enjoyed that. I liked when she fought Trigon at the end, and he was like, "I'm the devil, and I'm a hundred feet tall." And she's like, "Oh yeah, you know what's more evil than that? A bird." 
and then she <laughs> shot a bird at his tummy. I thought that was pretty good. Th- that happened, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, I thought so. <laughs> Uh, I, I also like Beast Boy playing knockoff Jenga as a small rodent. Or was he like, was he like was a, a chameleon? chameleon? Yeah, chameleon. You're right. You're right. He was a chameleon. <laughs> I'm thinking of something else. Yes, yeah. he has a chameleon. That was that was great. I just like the fact that you know Beast Boy cheats at Jenga by making himself small enough that he doesn't have to you know use that much strength and still loses. Yeah, I uh, is. Not using as much strength the way that you cheat at Jenga generally. <laughs> yeah, a, a deft light touch. Am I, I just don't know. playing Jenga wrong? <laughs> well, I think it's more to do with size. You, you're able to get up there real close when you're that tiny. Okay. Like I can't imagine the Hulk is good at Jenga. <laughs> well, you know, the, there's those yard versions of Jenga where the pieces are really big. The Hulk's probably pretty good at those. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like that kind of patient. He he's he's generally more of a smasher than a builder. True. I'd like I I'd like to see him try playing Jenga. I think that would be fun. And then he gets frustrated and hits Kyle over the head with one of the Jenga pieces. That is why I would like to see him play Jenga. Yes. <laughs> Uh, my uh, my my favorite scene was uh, when Batman uh, realizes he's being possessed by demons. Uh, immediately pulls out a a syringe and injects himself with nerve toxin, so he passes out. I, I just for some reason that was unintentionally hilarious to me. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny too. Hilarious Batman competence porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see, there was a pretty good line about... I thought, honestly, the whole thing about uh, Beast Boy forgetting that he wasn't wearing pants, I thought was pretty cute in his introduction as a character. And later, the other Titans talking about how they'd seen him lick himself, and one of them says, as a dog, and they say, I wish. I'm like, the execution of that joke was a little bit clumsy, but I think that's a decent joke. Yeah, Beast Boy was surprisingly inoffensive in this. Yeah. And I don't think his behavior was all that different from what it normally is. You just think it was the the bar was set a lot lower? Yes. Yeah. L- low enough that a chameleon-shaped Beast Boy could climb over it. Mm. Um. So the guy who did the voice of the Flash... Uh, when you were looking him up, did you find any more stuff out about him? Because he sounded very, very familiar, and at first I thought it might have been Nathan Fillion, um, but it wasn't. No, Nathan Fillion voices Hal Jordan in these movies. Uh, that guy is Christopher Gorham. He has... Oh, from uh, Mortal Kombat. He's got forearms, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, that, that that I never knew his first name, but <laughs> uh, he's a he's a character actor. Uh, he's appeared in a million different little, you know, he's been in this TV series and that TV series a million times. Um he was on a he was one of the leads in a 
bizarre television series that no one but my wife and I has ever seen called Harper's Island, which was a one-season murder mystery done in the um, and then there were nun style sort of where Ooh. every episode one member of the cast is killed off and so by the end you're and you don't know who the killer is so you're slowly but surely figuring out who it is by the a the loss of characters and it actually plays pretty fair um, but when you're you're and they do the the Hitchcock thing where the the actor who is the most recognizable dies at the end of the first episode. Ah. And after, yeah, they kill off Harry Hamlin as uh, the sleazy uncle right out of the gate. And after that, it's, you know, a whole bunch of teens on, or not teens, they're in their 20s because Christopher Gorham is getting married. He's the groom, and then there's the bride, and there's the wedding parties and their families. Uh, Katie Cassidy of Arrow fame is. Uh, the bride and there's you'd recognize a bunch of the actors from it now because they've all a lot of them have gone on to do other things but that is where i know him from and as i said nobody but amber and i have ever watched this show yeah i certainly haven't that thing where you kill off the most a recognizable actor early that works so well because it definitely got me in the first mission impossible movie with emilio estevez i was like wait what now he's not in the movie anymore and it also totally worked in um one of the president airplane movies the one that steven seagal died in that it turns out which one was that oh executive assistant no uh decision no it might be exact executive something um but I heard this interview with John Leguizamo, who's also in the movie, where he talked about the fact that Steven Seagal, after reading the script and be agreeing to play that role in the movie, then started lobbying to have his character not die uh, because he said, well, I just don't think people would believe that I would die. <laughs> it's like he's ripped apart by being stuck between two airplanes. And he's like, maybe he could just hold them together. But it did throw me because you do have those expectations with like name actors being like, oh, that, let's see, that guy's more famous than that guy. So that guy's going to fill this role. Um, the one that it totally threw me with was Anaconda because I could not keep in my mind who was famous at what point in their career when that movie came out. It's like, okay, wait, how big a deal was Eric Stoltz comparative to Owen Wilson at that point? Who's gonna die first? Is Ice Cube a movie star yet? Not really, but they're making the big push for it here. Like, it, that, that movie ends up being a lot of fun for that reason, although mostly it's a lot of fun because John Voight says, it's monkey blood. <laughs> yes. Second greatest line in any movie. <laughs> the first being? Uh, Morris Day in Purple Rain. Hey, how's the family? <laughs> <laughs> There's also what I like when I... I'm a big fan of uh, mysteries in general, and I, I prefer my TV mysteries more in the... Playfair whodunit than the procedurals because I like to try to play along but there is always the law of the name guest star where the name guest star is always the killer 
and it's always pleasantly surprising when the name guest star turns out not to be the killer. Yeah, although that can be one, too, where it's, wait, do I know this person's name because of stuff they did later, if you're watching an older show? Like, uh, I, I went on a binge of Murder, She Wrote kind of recently, and um, there was like, hey, what's Brian Cranston doing here? Oh, not very much, because it's 1984. Um, but that that was really fun. There was an episode of Murder, She Wrote that I stumbled across recently, and I could not get over the cast on this one episode. It had uh, LeVar Burton and... Yes, Jerry... I saw that one. It's yeah. the boxing one, right? Yes! Jerry Ernest... Orbach, yeah, LeVar Burton... Who else was in that Ernest one? Borgnine and oh. John Amos. All of them in this one episode. I'm like, I can't determine who's going to be the bad guy because everybody in this episode is somebody. I love Jerry Orbach is in a bunch of them, and he is a fucking delight. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I've, Amber and I have been watching a bunch of uh, Columbos, the early Columbos, and it's just like, good lord, everybody was in this show. Uh-huh. I, have you seen the Shatner one? Yes! I just watched that one. It is so good. We just watched one with a very young Martin Sheen. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he's the victim. He's not the killer. He gets killed by, oh, I can't remember, the, oh, who was uh, a very famous actress of the that, it, oh God, I gotta remember, I've gotta find this episode, because Vincent Price is in it, and Martin Sheen, and, um, oh, it was Vera Miles. Oh, wow. Yeah, the great thing with Columbo is you can say, you can say who did it, because you're gonna find that one out right out of the gate. Right. Uh, yeah, I heard an interview with Peter Falk, and he said something along the lines of being investigated by Columbo must be like being nibbled to death by a duck. And <laughs> I just think that's the perfect description of that show. I love Columbo so much, and I have heard that they are maybe talking about doing a reboot with Natasha Leone as Columbo, and I love that idea so very much. Oh, wow. Very much, yes. I could totally get behind. <laughs> I, I was having this conversation with someone not too long ago about who you could get to play that role nowadays, and I couldn't come up with anyone, but that, that freaking works. Yeah, I, I would love to see that. Um, so at the, at, at the end of, of, of all of this, we get, we get the stinger with Terra floating on a rock heading toward the, the Titans tower, which obviously teases that we're going to get the Judas contract, uh, the movie that we were originally planning to watch. Uh, Matt, have you seen that one? And does it, what kind of liberties does it take with the uh, original story? Hopefully it takes the one Liberty it absolutely should take. It does. Okay. Uh, there is a, piece that I am now thinking about writing because there have been three animated adaptations of the Judas contract now between part of the third season of Young Justice the second season of Teen Titans and that film and they all remove that uncomfortable Terra Deathstroke thing because you really 
you, you can't do that on television. Um, it's just it doesn't work. They also, as opposed to using Hive and its vague, hooded, unnamed characters, the organization hiring uh, Deathstroke is the Church of Blood. So they work in Brother Blood with Deathstroke, hmm. which is interesting enough. And when you've got, you know, to do the movie thing, it it makes more sense that you've got a more interesting main secondary villain than just the hooded, faceless hive folk. The uh, since we just watched New Frontier, uh, Deathstroke in that film is voiced by Wait, uh, Miguel. Deathstroke F- is in the New Frontier. No, no. okay. I no. was going to say uh, Miguel Ferrer, the M- late lamented Miguel Ferrer, voiced uh, the Martian Manhunter in New Frontier. Ah. He voices Deathstroke in the Judas Contract. It was hmm. actually the last thing he did before he passed and by the way just since we were just talking about classic uh detective television i have to go on one more tangent please do because uh amber and i were recently watching an uh, early episode of magnum pi where uh jose ferrer miguel ferrer's father plays uh magnum's client in the present and in flashbacks to him as a young man uh his son miguel ferrer plays him plays that character as a young man. It was actually really cool. He would that was the one where he wasn't a Supreme Court justice, but almost was, right? Yes, yes, it was. I know my Magnum. That was <laughs> that show holds up a lot better than I expected it to. Frankly, Tom Selleck is charming as shit. Oh, he absolutely is. You can see why Sunspot wanted to be Magnum. <laughs> yeah. And I also love that he is fundamentally lazy and super whiny. Um, my, I have a uh, a one-word Magnum impression that I, I enjoy doing, which is, Higgins! <laughs> yes. Spot on, sir. Thank you. Um, so... We, we've talked about a lot of great uh, detective television. Uh, Hub, what other media are you consuming right now to uh, keep, keep sane? Uh, well, I mean, that's not why I'm doing it. Because if I were, <laughs> I'm not working that great. Um, I recently watched I, Claudius. Uh, that's been really good. There's a podcast that uh, is called I, Podius that is... John Hodgman and Elliot Kalin, who was head writer on The Daily Show for a long time and currently one of the co-hosts of The Flop House. Um, and they watch all of I, Claudius, and so I watched that to go along with them, and that was really, really enjoyable. Um, it's it's a weird quasi-historical soap opera very much a soap opera that just happens to star amazing like classically trained Shakespearean actors and it's really really great Brian Blessed as Augustus is so good in that Um, and other than that there's a British TV show about a pie detective that's pretty good (laughs) 
I think I can't tell if it's good or not. I know at one point he says slabs of moist ham, and it's incredibly disturbing. Um, but yeah, it's a British police officer who wants to open a store making meat pies, um, but they keep making him be a cop. It is just so incredibly British um, and pretty fun. I don't remember what it's called. I call it Pie Detective, but probably if you look that up, you'll find it. I must find this show. <laughs> Google Pie Detective. <laughs> yep. Pie in the sky. It is the That's first it. result. Wow. Oh, I must find where this is streaming, and I much must watch this, because it sounds like it is right up my alley. Oh, uh, can I plug something that I'm actually tangentially involved in? Oh, Please, um, yeah. That was our next question. <laughs> uh, there's a show called Garden Plots with Skeletor that is fucking brilliant, and I'm lucky enough to be able to do the voice of Merman on it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm only in a few of the episodes, but it is so good. It is a gardening podcast that is hosted by Skeletor, and it is so charming and delightful uh and you guys should absolutely check that out it, it is a great show it uh for those of our listeners who've heard me talk about it before uh it is from some of the creators and hosts of smash fiction which i've spoken about on this show repeatedly <laughs> yeah but uh i i love that i recorded an episode of that the other day i also just love doing the merman voice and if you just want to write into them and say like more merman please um <laughs> it's my secret hope that he becomes the steve urkel of the show and slowly <laughs> takes it over <laughs> well, i'm definitely gonna have to check that out uh hub it is it is you know we've, we've got one plug in let's get them all in uh you know where where can people uh, find you? Um, just look inside your hearts. I'll, I'll be there. I've always been there. Um, or uh, you can also look up my podcast. It's called Titan Up the Defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. Uh, it is a weekly podcast that I co-host with my brother where we talk about either the Defenders or the New Teen Titans. Um, and I hope you'll like it. It's That's what I spend the majority of my time working on. Uh, I also, if you donate on Patreon, then you get access to the monthly podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa, about Howard the Duck. That one is called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. It's a show whose title has diminishing returns, but hopefully its content doesn't. Um, and that's if you donate at patreon.com slash TT Wasteland. Uh, and there's a bunch of other bonus stuff on there. I make video reviews of classic comic books. And there's some other podcasts that I've recorded with my brother on there. But mostly it's tighten up the defense. Awesome. Uh, Hub, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and doing the show with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I am delighted to take part in any project that I don't have to write or edit. So thank you so much. <laughs> you are very welcome, sir. Uh, well, Matt, we've had a lot of fun, but uh, I believe that is it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ Presents on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings.
You can support WMQ Presents uh, and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Marzinski from MojoWorks.com, Carlo Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Saren. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote. And me at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox, plus sneak peeks at what's ahead and an early look at our weekly editorial. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>